Welcome to Creatives Grab Coffee, hosted by Dario Nuri and Kirill Lazarov. CGC is a show where we invite business professionals to discuss industry topics. Today we welcome our guests, Garris Booth and James Murday. By the Booth are an idea company focused on discovering their clients' stories and rendering them into animation, motion graphics, and live action. We hope you enjoy our discussion, so let us start. Yeah, so James, why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, like how you got into the industry and where you're at now? Oh boy. Well, I've been in the industry for uh, approaching 25 years now. Um, started back in 96 in a place called StanCon Video, which was uh, a creative name for a place that does standards conversions. So um, amazingly uh, named, but uh, everyone knew what we were doing and uh, we did a lot of uh, good work there. And then I, that particular company got bought by Mijo years ago. And then um, I went out, left there, went to Sim. Well, before that, um, created my own company called uh, Station X, which was digital delivery systems and, uh, and basically digital delivery of large files. And back then, uh, when we were starting it, it was, it was a little bit harder to do it back in 2012. And uh, we sold the companies in 2014. At the time, I was also the, the uh, VP of sales for both Pixel and for Finney Films. Um, after, I guess, just last year, I, uh, I was approached to, to see if I'd be interested in another position and Garris and I met and, uh, we've been living happily ever after since. Okay. So you started your own company and then sold that. Tell me a bit about that process. Like, um, how did you know it was the right time to sell and, and how did that feel selling your own company? Yeah, well, I mean, I was one of two partners uh, for that particular company. Um, you know, Mark Backley was the uh, um, original founder of it, I would say. He was the one that reached out to me. He was a client of mine at the time. And uh, he was the one that decided, he was asking me, what about large formats and, and can we do digital deliveries and what's the viability? And I said it was and and we got together so it was it was uh it was an interesting way of two years of building the business uh the first year as you guys know it's always the the toughest year and and with that it was it was relationship bound we were trying to get relationships with the stations to be able to get the content to them as well as relationships with new clients so it was uh it was a, a real fun time um but then what happened i guess uh about well, Mark Backley again came to me and he was like, he had been approached by Sim and he was thinking I, he wanted to sell. And, uh, and so we discussed it and uh, I agreed with him. It was a, it was a good time for us to do it. We could, I could start seeing that, that large, you know, large file format uh, delivery was going to be something that everyone could do sooner or later. And, and it was fast approaching. So it was best for us to sell the companies. And it was all three of the companies at the same time. So mine as well as the other two. And then we became part of Sim. And Sim's a great company. Um, I worked there for a number of years as well. And uh, um, a lot of good relationships still there. It was just for me, um, it was about going back to the roots of a small company again and, and getting away from that corporate structure, which, which uh, is totally necessary when you, when you have multiple establishments in you know, different parts of the world um, and hundreds of employees, you need that structure, but also that structure slows things down to a certain degree. So it can be 
a bit frustrating. It's not as fun as being in a smaller business where it's more like a little motorboat and you're just sort of speeding around and you can, you can make adjustments where you want to, you can have a meeting in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, you're, you're putting things into effect where with, with a corporate structure, you, you could, uh, you could have a meeting about getting a meeting and, uh, and it could take a long time to make change happen. But, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a little weird selling your own company. Um, and then being an employee of it um, also for a little while um, was also um, interesting, but uh, um, I wouldn't have traded for, for the world for sure. Um, at certain times, the stress level was uh, exceptionally high. Sometimes you're wondering, did I make the right decision? Did I leave? <clears throat> when I was at my Joe, it was a great job and, and, and great company. And my wife still works there to this day. It's now Extreme Reach Canada, um, but she still works there to this day. So when you have that constant paycheck, that, that, that job, which you really know well, um, clients on a regular basis calling in um, and then leaving that to, to really fend for yourself. Yeah, there was some nights when sleep didn't come so easy. That's for sure. But it was good. You mentioned that uh, you, foresaw, uh, you foresaw that the industry was shifting and a lot more people were starting to pop up and do something very similarly to what you did. Do you feel that if you continued with the business, do you feel that you probably would have had uh, the company would have been worth a lot less because of that fact? Or is or did you feel like that? Did you feel that was the right time to to do it? Absolutely. It was it was the right time to sell. I, I think if we would have tried to hang on too long, there, there's it's a lot like a, a stock. Sometimes you hang on to it a little bit too long and then it's got no value whatsoever. And, and I think that's really what would have happened with Station X, unless we changed um, the business model to a certain extent, if we, we went in different routes and expanded the offering. Um, but at the time, um, we were already starting to see just post facilities being able to create, not just create their own files, but format them for the station. And then the stations also allowing them to receive it, right? At the time when we were creating it, um, stations weren't wanting to receive content from all, you know, all sorts of different people because they could say, well, we want a quick time and we wanted all these specs and no one would follow it, right? So quick time can be many different things to many different people. and. Uh, and it could be close, but it's not the same. And then it would be rejected by their, their servers and their service, their, um, their tech at their side of things. And uh, yeah, that would be no good. So for us, that onboarding, they knew exactly what we were giving them. We were giving them vanilla ice cream all of the time. And they were getting it consistently, right? Where right. with other suppliers, it could be all over the place. Sometimes it's tiger tail and no one likes tiger tail. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess selling your company is something that we kind of foresee in our future as well uh, but we we haven't really thought too much about our is there anything you would tell maybe your younger self um, prior to selling like some things to watch out for maybe to think of maybe, maybe when you're early years yeah maybe something to uh, maybe during the negotiations it's something you should keep in mind yeah yeah um, hire good lawyers and read the documents thoroughly for sure um, there's there's a lot of contracts and a, and, a, and a lot of writing there and it's very thorough um, and their lawyers know it very well. And, uh, and of course, those lawyers are making sure that that, that agreement is, um, is very advantageous for them. 
So for you, you got to make sure that your lawyers uh, are really good at contract um, legal and make sure that they're reviewing it the right way and that you're making sure that you're negotiating the best deal for yourself at that given time, for sure. You mentioned that after you sold the company, you continued to work at Station X for, for a little while. Just a quick question. How long what, roughly was that for? Well, we saw in 2014. Well, the company entity probably lasted for another year to a year and a half, I want to say, as a brand. Um, and then the service wrapped into, um, wrapped into Pixel Underground um, as a service level offering there. So was, I'd say Station X probably lasted for about a year, um, maybe a little bit after that, um, after we sold. What was kind of your thought process uh, after that? You know, like, you know, now that you've already sold the company and you've moved on and you decided it's time to move on to some other bigger, better things. How did you start to kind of come up with some of those ideas um, or like uh, how did you make it to the next uh, step for yourself? For, for me, I was still in the same building with the same facility with the same people. And, uh, and with the absorption there, I was still doing sales for, for Pixel Underground um, and Finney Films at that point too. Um, and then Finney folded into Pixel as well. I, I can't remember exactly if, if, I'd assume if I remember right, that Finney and, and Station X both folded into Pixel at the same time because um, there was a bit of a transition there. Um, so for me, the, the job didn't change so, so much really. Um, other than I was having to do sales for all of SIM at that point too, right? So um, for the post offerings for SIM, both at King Street location and the Mutual Street location. Um, that was a little bit more challenging just because now I was offering pro like real audio post-production, which wasn't something that I really had done before. Um, and they were doing series like, you know, Penny Dreadful and uh, um, oh, what was the other ones? Uh, Handmaid's Tale, um, Schitt's Creek, all those, right? So they were, I mean, when I, when they first bought us, you go over there and you see their, their awards uh, section and you're looking at 80 awards plus at that time. They're probably well over a hundred um, awards now for sure. Right. And you're talking Emmys and all sorts of things. So some pretty good stuff. So, so you went from doing sales um, in what capacity? Like what were you selling before you went over to uh, uh, SIM? It was a uh, video post-production services. So we were, we were finishing, mainly we were finishing TV series, a lot of TV series, we we're finishing TV commercials as well. That was something that I was trying to pull into the company a little bit more as well as myself, um, Marcus, Valentin, and Mark Backley. So we were all trying to get a little bit more commercial work in too. Um, and then we were also doing the odd documentary, uh, docu-style TV shows, and the odd feature as well. Okay, so you basically went from like commercials, some documentaries, and then into television shows, right? Well, we were doing we were doing all of that. So, so it was the difference was that now I was offering audio post as well as the video post offering, right? So, we were already doing quite a lot of video, uh, or sorry, a lot of TV series at the time, um, specifically like say for Cineflex. So, like shows like Mayday, uh, which is which is I don't know one of the longest running Canadian produced TV series yeah. um, around, um, and and a number of others. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun, but 
like I said, the audio post side of things was a new world for me. Um, that's when I got to meet and, and work with Peter Gibson, who's the general manager over there. Um, I think now he's VP of post um, and post sim uh, overall um, Canada. And then also Jane Tattersall, who's been around for forever, um, who's both of which are great great people to work with and, and really wonderful people. Um, and she's the senior VP of Post Canada for SIM as well, um, if, if nothing's changed since I've been there. Diving into the category of sales, how were you able to navigate that challenge of, you know, first you were selling one specific service and now you're selling uh, several other services to a much um, higher level clientele? Well, I mean, for me, sales is sales. Um, it's a lot of it's relationship based, and 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 I I would what I what I would always do is exhaust who I know right away, and and try to figure out who they know, and try to um, get them to introduce me because those are that's intros are always the the warmest way to to meet someone. Right. Um, but I mean, it's like I said, it's relationship based. I'm I have. I have fun making relationships with new people. Um, and uh, they had some pretty good margarita parties, which made it a little easier to meet some new people there too. Uh, their annual margarita parties are, are legends. So um, yeah, just make sure that you're not always uh, taking a shot every time a, a client wants to have a shot with you. It's, it can end up messy. <laughs> First and knowledge, just say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh... It's interesting though because at that level, it seems like the the pool of people you're targeting is a lot smaller, right? So very specific kind of uh, skill sets that they're looking for and uh, and level of quality, right? Yeah, yeah. So how would how would you kind of go about it? With I know you have to go kind of build a relationship, but how different is it maybe from what you're doing now with Gary Sober at By the Booth, where instead of like very limited prestigious clients it's kind of like you know businesses like of any size you know small medium large mm -hmm. corporations yep well there was a little bit more door knocking for sure uh we'd we'd visit studios so we'd go to the west end and and he'd hit up certain studios and and that's where they're shooting um and then we would uh you know go and meet up with uh with different people there because they're there in their offices they're most of the time it's temporary offices in those those facilities and uh um we get meetings with them there chat with them um as far as uh audio goes they were really well known i mean tattersall sound and picture is, is some you know is a audio post facility here in toronto that's uh um if you're in the industry especially if you're creating high-end um series work you're probably going to know Jane Tattersall, and if and if you don't, then 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 you're probably there's a there's weirdness going on. There's a weird disconnect. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it was it was that um, it was also looking at different finding different producers that that I knew would be working on specific types of shows and just reaching out to them whatever way I could. Um, but most of the time, I'm trying to do it as warmly as possible none of us like getting a sales call, right? Like if I'm at home and someone's calling me and they're asking me about my cable package, no one likes that. And, and, and it's a hard, and it's a hard one to overcome, even if you're calling them to help them. Right. 
Um, and, and for me, it's always about calling people because I know that we can help them. Um, and I'm convinced of that. And that doesn't matter if I'm at a large company or if I'm in a small company. If I'm like with By the Booth, I know that we can help our clients. I know we can create great content. Beyond all that, I know that we can make it easier for them too. We can make a have it a, as be a good experience for them from the beginning to the end. And I also know that Garris really cares and, and, and as an owner, um, which, which is, uh, which is big. Um, I've worked at lots of different companies and there's lots of different types of owners and, uh, and there's certain ones that really care. And then there's other ones that, that are a little bit more uh, numbers business driven, which is fine. Um, it's just, for me, I, I like working for a company where, where it aligns with my, um, my moral compass, I guess you could say. And, uh, and Garris and I got along really well. Um, we fleshed out who we were as people as well as who we were as professionals. And, and that's how we uh, uh, came to be as, as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you want to tell us a bit about... Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I just thought it was interesting because, uh, well, another thing I wanted to ask is that when back when you were at sim and even before that uh well especially at sim you're dealing with like when you go out to pitch you you how many competitors did you have because at that level it's i'm guessing sim and maybe a couple of others yeah like a few yeah i mean i i would say the the competitors were probably in the neighborhood of five five or six real competitors on that side of things on the audio and video post side of things um right? Um, I mean, there's lots of different audio and, and video post hosts. So I'm not saying that there isn't. Um, but the ones that are doing the the audio and post for for specific uh, uh, those types of series, it's, um, it's, you know, um, yeah, there's not all of them are getting those particular series for sure. Yeah, so it's so it's five or six other people. And I'm guessing you're one of them too. So are you guys going? Are you really pitching them based on the whole a relationship building aspect or is it really margins because i'm guessing at that point everyone pretty much has roughly the same prices you know same costs and same overhead and yeah yes yeah. yeah the the overhead's different depending on the facility and how they build out um definitely uh like like say with with the old sim king street or old tattersaw um their, their build was far different i mean they, they had installed a dolby atmos uh mixing theater and they were like second in Canada, I think, to have one. Um, and that was just to get one client in. So, so it was this person. It was it was the movie Hyena Road. I don't know if you've you've heard it. It's a Canadian. It's a Canadian war movie. And uh, and basically, they they came in and and uh, and and talked with us and and said, you know, we want to work with you, uh, but it needs to be a Dolby Atmos mix. And uh, and and for that to happen, they had to build it and literally built it. Um, but yeah, I'd say you're right to a certain extent, um, overhead similar, but the, you know, talent's different as well. Right. And, and, uh, the more decorated the talent, um, the more chances that someone's going to want to work with them as well. Um, prices of an issue. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's sales. Um, it's all of those things. It's relationship, it's price, it's facilities, it's personnel. Um, it's all of those things. Right. So, um, yeah, you'll end up with some producers where they're just looking at the the dollars and pennies and and uh, and think, well, you're all similar and and whatever. Um, and then there's others that won't work anywhere else. And uh, and, and there's 
you know, they had clients like that as well. Like David Cronenberg had worked with them a number of times. Um, Sarah Pauly, same sort of thing. Away from her was uh, um, the first movie they mixed in one of their new theaters at the time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's different. Mm-hmm. Do you find that uh, pitching talent has become more and more prevalent in the industry, especially you know because now so much, good one. so many different uh, companies are starting to pop up, uh, and a lot of a lot of people have the same capabilities, right? And people are doing it for cheaper. Uh, not better necessarily, but like, as you said, if there are producers that are looking for those dollar values, you feel like there's uh, been a, you you see there being a bigger stress on talent? Yeah, no. Um, Like since joining with Garris and, and, and with By the Booth, we're a creative animation company, which is far, you know, which is different than what I was doing with the other companies. Um, And there, that seems to be more about style and about, the look of the the content, like what does the creative look like? Um, how that decision making process goes with each person must be quite different. You know, they might look at a piece of our content on our website or wherever, and then match it up with what they they think their brand's supposed to be like. Right? Yeah. Um, that's one of the decision making processes. But yeah, with us, it's not about the name of the of our our particular talent. It's about the content we've created and the style that it is, but you're, you're, you're not wrong. Um, like say on the, uh, let's say production company side of things, if you had a roster of directors, then the names totally matter. If you had a roster of DOPs, that would totally matter, right? Because producers seem, you know, really know them. Um, you know, they, they say like, uh, what's that guy's name? Mr. X, I think it was, or director X or whatever. Um, it's got a cool name and has some pretty cool content and people want to work with director X or whatever his name is. So, um, yeah, names can be a thing, but, uh, but for us right now, um, and the content that we create, it seems about be about the style and the creative look of it and, and how we can help them through that journey from, um, from, you know, start to, to the very end ideation. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, hold on one second. So Garris just joined us right now. Let's just uh, let him into the room. Hey, Garris, how's it going? Very good, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me. And I very much apologize. I'm half an hour late. No, no, that's okay. It, you actually came at a good time because we basically caught up with James up until, I guess, up until he kind of left Sim. So the, my next question was going to be, how did you and Garris meet? So... Uh, I guess it's James. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. Well, yeah. James and Garris, how you two met, right? How did we you meet? It it was very clinical. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, it was I a dating a, website, wasn't yeah. it? It was a dating. It was. Website. I I swiped right, <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. A year later. <laughs> a year later. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> then he ended. No, no, that's not it. <laughs> It's hilarious. No, it was, uh, it was actually, so I, I had hired a bunch of people before with varying degrees of success because uh, it's difficult. Uh, and, you know, being a, an entrepreneur, I, I, instead of like getting it right the first time, I decided to learn the hard way and do it a few times and figure out what I don't know how to do and make corrections. So I decided that 
this time around, I was better off leaving it in the hands of an expert. So I, I hired a recruiting company, a very reputable recruiting company, um, who I was actually referred to uh, by someone I was working with in the advertising industry who had had good experiences being placed uh, by that recruiting company. Um, so I reached out to them. I had a couple of conversations uh, just kind of describing the role and they, they do a great job of like getting the information out of you. Um, so I described some of the key things around the role. Um, and then they originally put me in contact with actually one of their recruiters who was more on the uh, sales kind of business operations side. Um, and it was interesting because my personality did not gel with that individual. Great person, great at his job, but it wasn't right for like the creative industry. Um, and so I felt like the person that was, you know, looking for a prospect needed to really understand the industry that we worked in. Um, so at that point they did a great job of kind of switching gears and my original contact actually took over. Um, and yeah, he, you know, put me in touch with a whole lot of people. And, uh, I think, you know, personality fits huge, um, for me at least. Uh, so James and I kind of get along, I think, uh, for, on a personal level, which just makes doing business a little bit easier. Um, everybody that they, you know, presented my way was, uh, more than capable of doing the job. Uh, so it really just came down to like who felt like they were the right fit and, so far, so good. It's been a year. It's been a so year. It, so. It's been a year, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's very much like, a, like the dating app that we just described. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, is uh, he had reached out to a friend of mine who, who is, uh, you know, the head of production at a, at a big agency here in, in Toronto. And she, she told him, you know, ask me that I might know someone that would be interested and in, not thinking I'd be interested in it. And uh, just because, you know, I was in a bigger company and all that. And, uh, and I looked at it as a really good opportunity to, to go back to, to a, that smaller non-corporate kind of company and, and help grow and, and work with people that, like I said before, you know, aligned with me, uh, you know, personally um, as well. So it's been good, like Gareth said so far. You know, we should do gears. Why don't you just give us a little background on yourself? Yeah, I, I got I got a little confused <laughs> on, the, on, that, on that aspect there. I'm like, one year? You guys have done all of this? <laughs> James is the best salesperson. I know. I was going to say. We should have just said yes. <laughs> all in one year. Uh, well, I don't know. What What do you want to know? Like what? So just tell us how you got into the industry and, and you know, I guess how you got to where you are right now. How by the booth came to be. Yeah. Uh. I, I never know how to answer this question because it starts like at birth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, it starts, it does start a little ways back though, because I, uh, I've always been interested in like art and design. I went to OCAD for design. Um, and like the only, I've had like one agency job. And other than that, I like worked at, you know, Radio Shack. Um, but I, is that still around? No. I think in the U S yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I, I mean, I, I've always kind of been doing freelance work. Like I moved to Toronto, like from 
high school, moved to Toronto, and I was doing freelance work to pay for my like apartment while I was going to university. I used my freelance to pay for university. Like I've essentially had a job of some kind since like as long as I can remember. So the uh, by the booth thing, I can't even remember when I, I branded that sort of company name, but it came from the freelance that I was doing. Um, and, you know, I, I freelanced for a number of different organizations. Uh, one of the big ones I was, I, I, I was working at Radio Shack and I got a phone call from a friend saying, hey, do you want to do the, uh, the night shift at Sportsnet? Um, and that was while I, while I was in school, right? And I was like, yeah, sure, I definitely want to do that. So I showed up and started doing the night shift and then I, I was around all these people that were like motion designers creating stuff for TV. Um, and because I was in school for graphic design, I was like, oh, there's like this real correlation there, right? And just realizing that everybody I was around at school was going to graduate and be a, a graphic designer, I thought, well, <laughs> why don't I learn some stuff from these motion guys? And when I graduate, have a you know much smaller pool of people I'm competing with. So that's more or less what I did. Um, and then I, you know, I've, I had a number of like smaller ventures that I started as, as businesses and things like that. And I really started to learn like the sort of startup mentality, like the, there's this like a thing that I use or used to use. I don't know as much anymore, but it's called a lean canvas. Um, I very much remember putting together this lean canvas um, around um, photographers Can in Toronto. What's that? Can you explain what? Oh, it's like a three thousand foot view of a business. So it lets you kind of like outline um, what your offering is, who your target might be, who your early adopters could be, um, loose numbers around pricing, like where your break break even point would be based on like what what you put into the business to get it going and you can build tons of them uh around a, a single business with different models of how to approach the same problem so i just like identified i was doing motion graphics work but i was like learning how to edit was kind of not i don't want to say it wasn't hard because editing is definitely a, a skill but it was something that i saw that i could also do um, so I took the idea of editing and I looked at where are the possible opportunities in the marketplace, and I'm talking like 10 years ago, um, for an editor. And that was the moment when, uh, a lot of photographers who were holding DSLR cameras were starting to move into like being videographers, but there was a big gap between shooting and editing for them. So I realized that there was an opportunity there and I started going after that market and I think that although I had had like other business ventures before that and I was doing freelance learning how to run a business and learning the structure of how to start a business was very helpful and that was the moment when I kind of really created by the booth when I was like okay there's a market here that I can see that I can market to and solve real problems for and that's when it became more of a, a business. And then I started looking at like, how do, how do I structure other things? How do we grow? How do we 
you know, what is the business going to do beyond this niche entry point that I found? Um, and then over the years, just have grown it by making mistakes and fixing things. Uh, and always trying to keep in mind, like, what value are we really providing? Um, so what, what were, uh, I guess, what, what would you say are your three biggest mistakes that you made and that you learned a great amount from? Um, I think one of the biggest things is not being patient. So trying to rush things um, without really like a reason to rush them uh, caused me a lot of problems early on because uh, I always wanted something I didn't have. Like what? Can you give us an example? Um, better clients. What I would, would have deemed in the past to be a better client, which really at the time just meant a larger client, but it was too fast because a business needs things in place to support larger clients. Yeah. You can't just want the larger client and then try and deal with that yourself. Because uh, there's a lot of things that, you, that go on in a business that you don't see or you don't think are necessarily part of the tangible end result that are involved in, you know, client management. Uh, so that just, yeah, speed is a, speed and patience are two things. You want to be like going really fast with your business, but you want to be thinking a little bit slower, um, which is kind of, I know it sounds contradictory, but um, it's definitely a, a mindset. Um, and then I think the other big thing is being enticed by, um, a talent's history or resume and thinking that just because they've done something in the past, uh, at another company that if I hire them, they will be able to do that, that same thing at my company. Um, I learned that that's not necessarily always the case. Um, so I guess which is why I was saying that personality fits like really important because like hiring for someone's skill set is a little bit different than hiring someone that's going to be able to like work within this business. Um, yeah, those are kind of two. Uh, being very humble is important. Um, like being able to admit that you've changed your mind or you screwed up. Uh, and, you know, like working through that with other people, that's important. I always thought that like, I knew how to do things correctly and process was king or queen or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I realized that process is part of it, but people come first and that you got to get that in place. And then the processes get built off of that. Um, so early on in the business, I did that the other way around and it was not great. Well, that's not true. It was great to a point, but what gets you there doesn't always continue to, to Im improve and scale in the same way. So, you know, you always have to be assessing that. At what point in, in your business did you realize that you needed help with sales? Because like anyone who runs a business, sales is always probably not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. You know, when you're starting out, you want to think about, you know, what your product is, your offering, your service. You want to make sure you're really good at it. And then the sales process is something that seems to always kind of be pushed back. At what point did you realize that you might need help with that? Well, I, I'm big on taking advice from other people. 
that have been somewhere before me. Like that's one of the only, well, it, it could be the key defining factor in any success I've ever had is just like asking somebody else's opinion and actually listening to what they say. Um, and my, my accountant at the time who I think I at the time had known for maybe five or six years and now it feels like probably, I don't know, crazy amount of time. Anyways, very smart guy. He just made a comment to me one day that was like, not even as, I don't even think he would remember it or think it was a serious comment, but he just said, every client you have is going to go away one day. And I was like, ah, right. Okay. Well, if that's the case, I probably need to work on something that gets new clients. Um, and you know, and they don't go away because you did something wrong. They just maybe outgrow you or their needs change or any number of things could happen. Uh, so that idea of just like, well, that's a, that's someone's full-time job, right? So I should probably start figuring out how I hire that person. And that goes back to like the school of hard knocks, right? Like screw it up a whole bunch of times and eventually you'll figure it out if you learn every time. So I just started as soon as, Tom said that to me. I was like, okay, sales is a thing. Let me figure out what sales means. Um, and it has my opinion on what sales is has definitely changed since then, but that was the impetus for me, you know, getting on, on that path. Yeah. And you're, and you're a really good salesperson too, Garris, by the way, like, like I've been on a, quite a few sales calls with Garris and, and I've learned things from him. So um, he's, he's a good salesperson, but like every business owner, there's too many hats to wear. And, and when you you start getting more and more clients in, you start, got, you have to start realizing I've got to pare some of these things down. I got to start sharing some of these duties or I'm going to get nothing done because I'm just pulled in so many directions. And, and Garris is so good at so many things that he does tend to get pulled into a lot of directions, right? Um, which takes a lot of energy, both mentally and physically. It's not easy to do that, be the entrepreneur and run everything. So yeah, that's, that's the marketer in James. I, I would say it differently. I would say that I'm mediocre at a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> so I got to hire some people that actually know what they're doing in some areas. I, I want to throw it back to James right now. Uh, sorry, I want to throw it back to James right now. So you came, you started working with Garris in November. And then this year we had obviously like the pandemic and everything. So you probably joined at a very interesting time, right? I mean, you joined and then shortly after the whole playing field kind of changed, right? So you being a salesperson in a new, in a new job, like how did you navigate this new landscape? New challenges. Well, yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, my position is a dual role. So, so I, I'm both marketing and sales. Um, so really what it came down to is, is once it happened and we realized we were closing the, the office and we weren't coming back anytime super soon. I mean, at that point, we, we had no idea when. I think at the beginning, maybe we were thinking weeks or months or, or whatever. Now, now we're wondering if we'll ever go back. But um, right away, we, we sat down and had a meeting, uh, you know, just you know, the, the key players, us, and, and, and discussed what we wanted to do or what we thought we should do. And um, we came up with some different uh, ideas. And, and one of them was to, to do a, a webinar series and, and the Buy the Booth live show. And 
And that's been helpful um, as far as being able to get new conversations going with, with companies we never would have had conversations with before and developing relationships with them uh, in, in, a, in a different way than just sort of like that cold calling that I was talking about earlier. It's far different in this regard. Uh, we're developing uh, real relationships and giving them real value. Um, we've had it where we've done referrals from here to, from, from, from a Canadian client to uh, one of our guests who was uh, in South Africa, uh, which was really fun to see. So, um, yeah, that was one of the, the things that we did. Um, Gareth, did you want to add to it? Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, because, so yes, COVID happened and is happening, but um, I just kind of looked at it as like a, similar to any other challenge that you would face as a, as a business. And I think that um, uh, taking action is like always important. So like what James was describing was just us going, okay, here's this new problem. What are our possible solutions? And I think that that's just built into the um, culture of the business is we're always looking for, there isn't one option or one solution for any given problem, there's always lots of options. So James is just describing one of the options that we exercised in order to maintain marketing and sales. Um, we did a whole bunch of other, you know, less noticeable, less sexy things. Um, and, you know, they, they all contribute, I think, to the success or potentially lack of success. I mean, some things don't work the live show is working out really well. Yeah, no, like with any, with any business that faces a certain challenge, like you said, there are so many different avenues of what you can do as a response and not necessarily all the time it's uh, the right one, but I find even when it's not the right one, you're, it's almost like a trial and error, kind of like how you said, right? You learn what works, you learn what doesn't work, you know, like it, we went through the same thing and I feel like anyone in our position went through the same thing. It's like, how do we keep relevant how do we keep ourselves going you know stay sane through this whole thing i mean obviously the first few months it was you know it was tough it was tough it was quiet nothing was happening but then you know like you guys with your show we started this show because we wanted to kind of have some kind of consistency well we know. started it for three reasons well a few reasons yeah. yeah so our reasons are basically um to learn as much as we could from the guests we brought on board so i mean in september we shot I think it was something like nine episodes or something yeah. like that. And we learned more in September about the video production industry than we did in the five years that we were, we were in it. Right. Um, and I'm sure it might've been the same for you as well. So that was the first reason. Second reason was to network as much as we could. So we networked with a lot of video production companies, but now we are starting to expand a bit more and we're kind of going in the same direction you guys are going as well to kind of like build relationships with future potential clients. Right. Or even just, interesting people in 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 certain industries yeah. right like maybe if there's like a marketer that has a really interesting topic story, story or topic that they've uh, uh that they're popular for like it's cool to bring them on board and just have a conversation with them and just learn as much as we can and then the third was also to kind of just build our own uh audience like get our faces out there a bit more just again like what you guys said just market yourself right do you find it's a lot harder nowadays to kind of uh, push through that and uh, and really get yourself out there? I mean, with with content being, you know, so pol not polluted is the word, but it's like overcrowded, you know, oversaturated, like, oversaturated. That's the word. Yeah. 
with content being so oversaturated now, like how, how do you think that any company would have to try to, you know, maybe stand out from, uh, from others? Um, do you want me to go at this one, James? <laughs> it's up to you. Um, I, mean, I have an, I have an answer, but <laughs> you go, you go for it. I've got an answer too, but you go for it. I want to hear yours. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, for, for me, I'm the one that uh, comes up with most of the topics. Um, you know, it is my realm. So I'm coming up with the topics, finding the people and running it. So far, I haven't found a time when we haven't come up with a really good topic, um, one that we, we wanted to do. So, um, and as far as crowded goes, um, the type of content we're putting out there, when we start, you know, when I'm searching for um, what we're doing, say on YouTube or Google in general, um, it's hard to find most of the time it's people trying to do test to trying to do uh, how to videos and all that. This is a lot more informational. It's a lot more specific to businesses that are in our industry in our area most of the time, although we are doing more international. So um, no, I, I've been, I've been finding it good that way for us. It's, there's so many good parts about having the content that we create. Like you said, we've learned quite a bit. Um, and I'm going to continue to learn more and more. The last episode we did was on technical marketing, which we had some really cool technical marketers that were, uh, uh really, um, you know, had some good things to say and, and some interesting, uh, um, ways of doing things that make me, um, you know, want to dig in. Well, I immediately dug in the next day and started um, trying to do different things that, that they had mentioned, right? So um, like you said, you're learning from it. Um, we are and our viewers are learning from it too. So it's, it's giving really. Um, like Garris, uh, you know, Garris and I have talked many times about our show. It's, it's us giving a lot of ourselves to this show. Um, it's a lot of time and effort. What you guys do and what we're doing as, when we're creating these shows is not something where we just turn on the mics and turn on the camera and start um, shooting and, and, and talking. It's a lot more to it. Like you guys probably put in quite a bit of thought into it and, and, uh, and that's what we do too. It's fun. I kind of want to go back a bit to sales. Um, so Garrison, I remember you mentioned that you met some people at the beginning and uh, because they weren't in the creative industry, they kind of didn't know uh, really how to how to do it for you. Right. So can you kind of talk about maybe what they were missing? I didn't know what I was looking for. <laughs> I, I think I, I was. Yeah, that's why I heard someone. Um, I mean, it's tough because like there's there's just different types of people and and sales is like connecting with people right and um uh what was i looking for i mean that's a good question i mean when i think about like the people that i had they're um so we, we do business to business sales and it's quite sometimes technical. Um, so I had in the past, you know, there was like a, a cold calling approach, which didn't establish any rapport with people and it was really hard to build trust. So like there's, you can pull down a lot of numbers and eventually you're going to get a sale, but you have to put an awful lot of effort in and then, you know, 
the chances of a repeat sale off that are almost 100% dependent on production to do a good job because you have no rapport. Um, you know, we tried email marketing campaigns and stuff like that, which in the, at the time, which the two or three years ago didn't work. I'm actually wondering if it might be a good idea now, um, with a different approach. Uh, I had people who were real go-getters, but weren't knowledgeable enough about the product. Um, so again, it comes down to that trust building thing. Like they'd lose trust right away when they would deal with someone else who was technical and had some understanding. So if you're trying to sell to an agency and they have some understanding of what we do, you need to have some technical expertise to sell it. Um, and then when you're dealing with direct clients too, when you're not going through an agency, you need to understand the technical side, but then be able to communicate it in a way that everybody gets what's what value you're adding. So I, I think I just, I went through a whole bunch of different things and it, it didn't come down to any one thing or even five things that I was looking for it. It was like an evolution of our, our process, like our, our marketing and sales funnel evolved. And then, you know, the people that are part of making the projects happen have input on, on that funnel and the adjustments that we make. And we just keep doing it until it starts, you know, producing some sort of a result that we can go like, Oh, that was a direct, that was directly correlated to the way we approach this problem. Um, and I mean, some of the people that were in the role in the past, I'm sure probably could learn that. It just wasn't the time, right? Um, so James brings like a lot of technical expertise as well as, you know, his people skills are amazing, um, which is, right. yeah, it, but I mean, that's huge, right? It's like, you can get in the door with a nice smile, but then you actually have to back it up with some substance, you know? So, and then if you layer in like a sales process on that, it's very helpful. Um, and it has to be honest too, right? Like we are actually adding value. So I think, you know, with some other, I hate using the word sales over and over again, but with some other processes, it's a little bit more like, Oh, ask these questions and get these answers and then tell them this and uh, whatever. But ours is, um, well, we call it the value creation funnel instead of the sales funnel. So we're looking at every stage and every touch point um, in our relationships with potential clients. And at every single one of those stages, looking at how do we provide value? So we don't respond to an RFP by saying, this is how much it costs and we can do it or not do it we respond with um like creativity and solutions and questions and things they might not have thought of um you know possibilities and we work through a problem with them uh and then if we end up not being the right people to solve that problem that's like a mutual decision basically um or we can refer to them to someone else that might be very helpful um but i mean most of the time we're specific in what we do that's not the case um I'd say most of the time but yeah it's i don't know it's hard to sum up in one word it's a whole bunch of stuff you got to look for yeah i guess you're looking to not just give not just do like a one-off project you kind of want to build a relationship with mm -hmm. that person right so they if they are after just the the quote at the end of the day it's almost like okay well 
here it is, but we're looking for something deeper, right? Yeah. James, you, you always kind of say you want like a client for life. Absolutely. Um, That's always my goal. I want that relationship to be so strong in that the offering that we're doing and the value that we're giving them to be so big that they don't want to go anywhere else, that they enjoy the process and they enjoy the people too much to go somewhere else. And that's my goal. Of course, I know um, it won't always happen that way, um, but I think, it's a, I think it's a good goal to be shooting for. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, like sometimes you don't even know where those relationships even come from. Sometimes they even yield uh, results many, many years down the road. I remember when we were first starting out in the industry, I think back in 2013, like I made a, we made a couple of connections with people that we worked with early on and we didn't realize how much of an impact we made on them. Cause even though maybe for the next four or five years, they weren't able, uh, we, we didn't get a chance to work as much with them. Maybe they just weren't in positions where they could bring in uh, content creators and, and video producers to help them with their work. Whereas down the road, like just a few months ago, we had a few people reaching out to us from way back and, and we're saying, hey, I remember you were really great with video. Uh, I want to work with you again. And it's it's just kind of interesting to see how those relationships can foster even over time. It's like putting in the seeds in different uh, in, in different uh, gardens and, yeah. or pots. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then it yields results down the road. I fully agree with that. I've, I've seen it where, where I'll meet someone and we'll do work with them a year later. Right. And, uh, and that's okay. Um, sometimes it just, there's no projects that line up um, until then. But like you said, sometimes they're just not in the position to be able to pull things your way. Um, I've got, I've got contacts right now that would love to do work with me right now, but they, they can't, uh, they can't pull work from their, their facility right now, just because of, uh, internal, um, uh, internal rules, I guess you could say, um, for that particular company. But, um, if they had the choice, they would do it. So who knows a year from now, maybe they will have that opportunity and be able to work with us. Um, I'll still remain um, friends with them or, or, you know, connections with them. But like, like I said, the, my, my contacts are my friends. Um, most yeah. of them are. Um, and, and, uh, and I enjoy, I enjoy them, right? We, we have good times and, and, uh, and we do good work for them. So it's fun. How do you go, like, how do you maintain that relationship without kind of being annoying or like, you know, kind of sending them messages that kind of say, Hey, you know, don't forget about me. You know, like, how do you, how do you maintain? Like, I, they're not all friends. They're you, not all friends. Like, yeah, let's, day, let's right? be, let's like, be honest. A lot of them are, will, will tend to be acquaintances, right? They're not really on the, well, I don't know. Maybe it's different for you based on what Gareth said. You might really be the, the, the friendly, king. <laughs> the king of friendship, right? <laughs> <laughs> the king of friendship. Um, well, I mean, with, with other, say with others where, where I'm just sort of, uh, where they're not, where I haven't got them to that relationship level. Um, it'll, it'll be about making sure that whatever um, communication I'm doing or, or sending their way um, has some sort of value to them. So maybe it's, uh, maybe it's showing them a project that we worked on recently that's, that's similar to the type of work that they would need done. And, and just share it with them or just saying, hey, we did this and I thought it was really cool. And I, and I know it's, uh, you know, you work on Coke. We did something on Pepsi. I thought you'd find this one interesting. Maybe not quite those two. They don't like that. <laughs> but, you know, there's a similarity between the work that we're doing and, and the work that they would like. You know, those kinds of things. For the record, we're in the Coke camp, okay? <laughs> <laughs> 
and then uh, but but it, it could be an article too um you know sometimes i'll, I'll come across an article uh, that i find very interesting and then I'll, I'll share it with certain people that i feel um they would find value out of those articles too um our show is one way of being able to keep in touch with them too to a certain degree so if our episode is of uh um, a specific topic that I feel that they would have, you know, find value out of again, that's what I would share. So yeah, just sending an email, just saying, Hey, how's it going? Um, you know, can work with certain people. Um, but if it's someone that I'm trying to develop a relationship with and it's early on, then it's probably little to no value. I think that that, email was like kind of dead before covid and then now that covid happened that thing like is obsolete completely like yeah what's obsolete sorry oh the the just hey i still exist email like i get that all the time right um and it it's an immediate delete almost because it's like there's just so many things going on in everybody's life right now that like it if you're not sending something that has some sort of purpose and value to it, it's kind of like, like why? <laughs> yeah. Why add to an already stressful, busy day? You know, like people have kids running around in the backgrounds now. You know, it's we've been going through this for months, and I, I think that it's come to a bit of a settling moment. You know, some of the kids are back in school and whatnot, but there's still a lot of extra stress going around in people's brains. And I think if your marketing or sales stuff um, doesn't take that into consideration, it's a, it's a bit of a like um, faux pas, you know, mm. like not taking your shoes off when you go to someone's house or something like, like, Oh, you didn't just consider, I just washed the floors. It's like, you know, you're popping up in somebody's inbox, which is essentially in their living room now um so like maybe just i don't know think about it a little bit i suppose uh, uh james what have been some of the challenges as marketing and sales going from you know fairly big company to i'm not, I'm not trying to say by the booth is a small company but in comparison oh, to in comparison to where james came from yeah yeah right like it's yeah it's a completely different culture i'm sure yeah. So what have been some of the challenges and how have you overcome them or what kind of solutions are you trying to figure out right now? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for, for me, I, I, it was, uh, you know, I hit the ground running. I think the first day I started making calls and emails right away, letting people know that I had moved on. Um, so as far as that goes, the biggest challenge, I guess, was just making sure that people knew that I had had moved on. Um, and made sure that the dial, the, the, the story, um, was accurate as far as that goes. You know, when you, when you leave a company, um, especially if you're going from a big company to a small company, some people can read into it and think, oh, I got let go or something like that. For me, it was very important for people to realize that I had not been let go by Sim, that I had let, that I had let myself go, um, and, and left on purpose and, and, uh, and joined by the booth for real good value and, and for a new um, exciting opportunity. So for me, that was 
the most important thing out of the gate at the beginning was making sure that no one got the story wrong, that there was no weird rumor mill happening, which in our industry can happen real fast um, and bad, bad information get out there. I wanted to stay on top of it. So uh, yeah, I was reaching out to people immediately and a lot of them. And yeah, I'd, I'd say that was probably the, the biggest uh, thing that I wanted to do as far as challenges go. Um, it was, you know, understanding more about the animation process and, and what, what, what by the booth does, there is similarities. Um, but then there's things that aren't the same. Um, you know, I was in a post, uh, centric facility and where this one was wider ranging, right? Obviously from, from ideation to out the door with production, um, and, and animation and motion graphics. So it was quite a bit of, uh, uh, difference there. So it was about education and making sure that I understood it better um, and also understood the culture and, and how Garris wanted the uh, the company to be seen. So what, what about, uh, uh, let's, think about, let's talk a bit about the future. Like where do, where do you guys want to take the company now? I'll let you Garris, uh, you know, into that one. I'm always so scattered with this answer, which is horrible, <laughs> but um, we're actually like, we're on a real growth curve right now. I know it's kind of surprising to say that during COVID, but, um, you know, James has been doing a great job. So Garris. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's putting pressure on our production pipeline now. So we're seeing like opportunities for growth in multiple areas as a result of that. Um, so at the moment, it's just making sure that we're, uh, you know, making those clients happy, adding the value and, and making sure they come back. So at the moment, I mean, we are kind of operating with somewhat short term. I think we think maybe like a year out kind of, kind of thing. I don't have a, I don't have a five or 10 year huge plan. Yeah. Um, I think like our, I try to make like goals that are attainable um and we can like actually see the success on uh especially the small business it's like nice to nice to see that happen so i think over the next year we're just looking at like scaling up that that production pipeline and making sure that we can um increase the quality of work and you know keep the clients really happy um something that we've been doing i guess it's a little bit different than from say a year ago just because we have a healthier uh, pipeline now. So we're actually like suggesting more aggressive solutions for our clients. Um, so in the past, we would definitely try and help them solve their problems, but now we're reaching a little bit more. Um, we're utilizing our network in Europe uh, a, quite a bit more, like on a regular basis now, whereas before we were kind of little bits here and there and, you know, a lot of the stuff happening in, in Toronto, um, but we're really expanding, especially because of uh, COVID to become even more of like a global company um, with talent all around the world. Um, Sorry, so you mean you have, you have more, you have clients now in Europe that you're reaching out to and, and doing, I guess, remote work for, right? So we do remote work for people in the US. Um, most of our projects and clients are in Canada, but our actual talent pool is what I was referencing. Um, so yeah, like we were 
we were using talent from all around the world before, but now we're really leaning into that and growing our network pretty substantially. Um, Yeah. I mean, like we have some ideas and things that are kind of percolating that I don't, they're not baked enough to probably start talking about, but um, as we're seeing the pipeline fill up and, you know, now we're booked well into the new year uh, already. So, you know, when that starts, starts to really gain momentum like that, you know, in a down period like COVID, um, that gives us a lot of options uh, for what we can do next year. Uh, Yeah, I think, I think we would have had a a larger um, plan sort of answer for you if, if we weren't in the situation that everyone is right now, right? There's just so much um change that's happening the numbers are going back up again so we don't know what's going to go on with production is that going to get shut down yet again um is trump going to get uh um in again next week or whatever that's a really good point because i mean one of the major pivots we made was we had built uh, an in-house color suite yeah really nice you know but now it's completely useless so I mean, that was a massive pivot that we had to make. And so, you know, now we're, we have plans, but they're not the same as our plans would have been. Um, They're, I wouldn't call them, I wouldn't call them right now survival plans because we're actually, uh, I feel like we're quite in control of our, our sales and feels like we're in a thriving moment. Um, But we haven't, like all our plans that we had say last year going into uh or sorry, i should call it this year it's 2020 all our plans we had going into 2021 have changed yeah um and not good or bad it's just yeah i don't have like a huge answer for it except to say that we're just shoring up our production lines to make sure that all the work that's coming in is is getting done properly yeah i mean to be honest, our industry is already so unpredictable as it is, and then throw and then COVID is just basically throwing a wrench in that, and then seeing how much more damage it could pretty much do, and how unpredictable it is. But well, our industry is unpredictable, but I also think that we're really bad at marketing. Yeah, I think that we do a lot of like showing of our work and going like, look at this cool project we just finished. But we, I think, need to take a a page out of the book of like people who market big tech companies. Um, cause they're responsible for marketing qualified leads that go right to sales and, you know, sales is responsible for pushing that through into production. We don't really do that in our industry, right? Like we kind of, we go, what's the, the classic thing is we're a production company award. We're a war award winning production company. Yeah. All award winning production companies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're all award-winning production companies, and that's how we market. Um, well, yeah. but I, I think there's just a lot of room for, you know, opportunities for growth in that area, just within our industry generally. It's because everyone's like always referral. Like everyone we've spoken to, they're mostly all referral-based. Yeah. Uh, anyways, right? So it's um, like they don't. I think you guys are maybe one of the only yeah. ones that do sales of the people we've spoken to. Everyone else is referral-based. Or they, they, we were doing sales initially and then they got to a point where they had enough coming in where they just stopped doing it. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's due to that, if anything. I think a lot of companies are pivoting and, and shifting, especially when, when, you, when 
when sales start to kind of work, you start to tend to put more focus into that. And I think that's why it's worked out for you guys. And even though COVID has hit, and like you said, um, you guys are still in a, in a moment of growth. You're still thriving. Um, you know, like the company's growing. Uh, how big is your team right now, actually? The core, like by the booth team? Just three people. Oh, really? Skeleton. Yep. Skeleton. Three people and we're, we run a lot of projects and we have like a, a lot of, uh freelance talent that we leverage to produce those so with only three people as your core team how do you manage so many different projects so many different uh uh, uh and so much talent especially if it's uh, across the world like I've, I've always wondered how that type of relationship with working with someone say in europe versus working with someone here would be like it's the same we're all people yeah. <laughs> and it's post, right? Oh, right. Yeah. It's yeah, post. I mean, it's not like true. they got shooters out there that they got to go and manage. True, but yeah. one thing that's smart is that you brought someone on board to take care of, again, the sales and the marketing as well, right? Because if you had to do it, I'm guessing you would have been in the same boat where it's like, okay, let's continue with referrals because it's, it's yeah. hard to like wear 50 hats. I think like when we talk about like a talent thing, like all around the world, it's motion design work that we're doing, right? Yeah. So we, we're not on location, although there are ways of doing that as well. Um, you know, that's like a production service company is you, you can partner with them and, and pull things off uh, remotely. Um, but I, yeah, I, I mean, we, it goes back to the beginning. Like I'm a big believer in process still. So yeah. we, you know, we put a lot of that in place to try and smooth things out. It's not perfect though. Like it, you're still dealing with, you know, everybody's personality and everybody's time zone difference. And, uh, you know, different people do things at different pace at a different pace. And you still have all of those real things to deal with. And I, I don't know, I can't, I just, I don't know if, I, if we're doing things right or wrong. I just know that if we say, okay, we're going to do this and it seems like it's not working, we change it. And if it is working, then we, we keep doing it. And, um, we do have like an underlying, fundamental process that we follow and constantly adjust and i think that 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 that's what allows us to do it um and just like me personally i have a lot of routines that i put in place throughout my day uh in order to allow me to like complete the kind of maximum amount of things i can do in a day if you're not regimented about it you just end up getting off course. Like I, I would usually try and start my day and look at like, what are the two or three things that I have to do today that are gonna affect the largest amount of change um, for project or client or the business, whatever. And then uh, usually two of those things get derailed by other meetings and things happening. And one of them is successful. And then I just do that every day without any let up basically. Yeah. Like, that was even when COVID first hit us, that was, you know, it's the routines that we have in place at every stage, like from finance operations, production, sales, marketing, like the routines that are in place to, within all of those departments, even though there's only three of us, we still operate all of those departments. And actually, there's actually two more people. There's a, my accountant and, and our, our bookkeeper who are basically full time. Um, so i mean yeah i should include them in the team as well because they're integral in the in the whole cash flow thing but 
when something like COVID happens, I can very easily look at where all the problems are in each one of our processes, um, especially future cash flow, and start to make decisions on what we do with the business. What do we cut? What do we keep? Where can we manage cash flow? Like that's essentially what we did on the operation side of the business when COVID hit so that I knew exactly how much runway we had and exactly how much time James had to start bringing in work. And my job as the person running the company is not to transfer all of that stress on to the other people on the team, but it's to try and make sure that we're in a good headspace and motivate us towards those, those goals. Uh, knowing in the back of my head, oh, oh fuck, we've got like three weeks and we got to solve this problem, right? Um, Did you just but, stop yourself from saying the S word and then you said the F word instead? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Hilarious. Well, Sa so Sandra made that comment the other day about how I was 100% clean all of the time. And I, I was just like, you know what? It's true. Because in my non-work life, I swear like a pirate. So um, new COVID leaf is that if I feel like dropping the F-bomb, I just do it now. Just do it. <laughs> They can edit it out. They've got editing skills. They can do this. Yeah. <laughs> the magic They've got the of technology. Post. They've got the technology. I like but, technology. <laughs> but the one one thing I wanted to say though, he mentioned about COVID is is a lot of a lot of other companies and we've seen it all, right? But we, a lot of other companies are sort of they started losing jobs or or jobs got put on pause and it was like 70, 80% of the work that you had. Uh, planned on doing all of a sudden overnight, you know, pause. And a lot of them just sort of stopped doing business to a certain degree. There was a few of them. Um, for us, it was right away running and, and figuring things out right away. So it was, it was great. Well, guys, thank you so much for jumping on uh, the Creators Guard Coffee Show. And, you know, you really have shared some very uh, unique insights into like more so like the sales side of the industry, which mm -hmm. not a lot of people. Uh, have been able to do and uh, you know it's we we really appreciate it yeah thank you guys no problem thank you anytime it's it's nice being on the other side of the interview yeah <laughs> <laughs> no for sure thank you for tuning in to the creatives grab coffee podcast you can find us on spotify youtube instagram and linkedin let us know if there are any topics you would like for us to cover in future episodes you can reach out to us at creativesgrabcoffee at gmail.com. Mm -hmm.